There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. All right, everybody, it's another episode of Turf Show Radio. It's your boy, 3K. Van is conspicuously absent right now, but I'm sure he's going to hop on in a minute. Um, we got some good things coming up this episode. VT is going to call in. We're going to have a, a, a special segment coming from VT that's going to be quote unquote super. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at a uh, interview that Sam Bradford did and ha- how that relates to coaching decisions. Obviously, we're going to go back and talk about the San Francisco game, look ahead to tomorrow's game against the Falcons. we got we got some other things on the plate. There's enough to discuss, you know, defensive adjustments, everybody's favorite Rams cornerback, Kevin Dockery. There's a lot going on. But it looks like we have a caller. I'm hoping this is Van because I can't do this solo. Caller, you're on Turchill Radio. Van, please. Hello. Caller number one from the 432. Okay. Hey, this is David. And I, did, I didn't know that uh, I was the one you're talking to. Uh, hey, what's going on, man? It's all right. What's up, bro? Well, I, I just called to, my computer's down, so I called to listen, but I, I, I can uh, say something. I'm I'm a fan since 1971 back in uh, Merlin Olson and Youngblood and all those guys. Sure. And I was thinking the other day, would have been nice, you know. Back then in the '70s, we had everything. I mean, we had the the, the great line, we had the great defense, the great running back, you know, McCutcheon and such. And and only thing we lacked was that that put us over the next level. We were always making the playoffs, constantly getting to the NFC Championship, either losing to Dallas or Minnesota. One thing we lacked was that great quarterback. And you know, we went through. You know, Hadle and, and uh, you know, uh, James Harris and, you know, all these guys. Uh, Dieter Brock would have sure been nice to have a Sam Bradford or a Kurt Warner. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's definitely the case. And I got an interview with that I did with Eric Dickerson that I'm going to post next week. Apologize to the people that set that up. I doubt they're listening. But uh, I'm going to have that up next week. And that's definitely the case. You know, we suffered for years, not only in that generation, but then later generations on when we had guys like Chris Miller, Tony Banks. Yeah, You just can't get a team together without a quarterback. And I think we have Van on the line. Van, you with us, man? What's up? Hey, welcome to Turf Show Radio, brother. Are we live Clock already? check. Clock check, man. It's a um, the number. It's a Kia dealership somewhere. What? I dialed the wrong number and got some Kia dealership somewhere. Hey, man, you buy whatever kind of car you want. I'm just saying, buy American. I, I don't know if you heard the first question. I don't know if you heard the first question. Did you hear what uh, we had the caller ask? I, I I I I got. I jumped in right. Um, we were talking about the '70s teams of the. The Rams, those great 70s teams the Rams had yep. there back in the L.A. days. The Fred Dreyer. Deacon. Deacon, baby. Merlin o- oh, yeah. Olson, the Deacon, all those guys. Obviously, you know, the most the, the guys that really define the 70s Rams. And define, you know, actually had quite a few cameos in Hollywood there themselves. And, and that's part of the point is that they define the team. 
and yet the quarterbacks are almost conspicuous, you know what I mean? And, and so now yeah. that we're moving into the, a newer era where the quarterback defines it, it almost sets us up for a, a greater level of success in, in the idea that the ceiling is going to be higher. Is that essentially what you were trying to say there, Cole? Uh, and we didn't sure, get your name sure. in. Uh, I'm, I'm David. Uh, David, I, all right, thanks. Yeah, uh, I think that with Sam Bradford, the way he's already looking, you know, you give this guy – a couple of years. I look at poor Matt Ryan already is at it, and I don't think he is the, has the kind of innate talent that Bradford has. But I look at his maturity, what he's done, his composure, his ability, and I love this, to, to, to go through his reads. And you can see him looking so many people, and he did this at first, but so many people stare down their people. They miss open receivers. He seems to just calmly and coolly, Clint Eastwood style, you know, just get it done. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's really interesting with Ryan too, because those you know the rookie year like Bradford and Ryan, they had him much more of a game manager, and I obviously they got Bradford as the game manager too, but you know they had Ryan was really successful as rookie year, and they had that kind of sophomore slump. But I was looking at that, and I was Roddy White injured last year. I think he missed some I don't time, know off but the top it was my head. I, I don't remember it was as being a significant injury. I don't think so. I'll I'll, I'll check it out real quick. But, you know, now he's, like you say, man, he is just, he's nails this year. I mean, he's hes calm, cool, and collected. I mean, I don't think he has that that same kind of downfield ability that Bradford has. But, um, uh, you know, it's the guy might be having the best quarterback season in the league, and he, he gets, after in the NFC at least, and he gets, you know, absolutely no credit for it. He's the most, uh, he's the quiet hero. Yeah, and just well, to touch on the Roddy White thing, I just looked. He had some nagging injuries, but he didn't miss a single game out of the last two years. He's played okay. uh, 32 games over the last two years, and obviously he's been in every game this this year. You know, that's another thing about uh, Bradford, too, is here he's doing it, and he doesn't have a go-to receiver. I mean, I love Amendola, and, man, the, the guy's got so much heart. And, of course, Clayton was – oh, I wanted to cry. <laughs> he was lost, but, you know <laughs> – He's done this with with uh, you know street street guys mostly. Yeah, it's true, and that's going to be something I'm going to try to touch on if we get time before the end of the show. David is it's how we approach building this team around Bradford, and specifically how we bring, build that passing game. Uh, and bringing in different personnel to work in different wide receiver spots. But hey, I appreciate the call to start off the show, man. You sure. got us off on a good can, foot. Can I ask you something else? Of course. Do you have a minute? Well, What's up? Uh, well, I wanted to ask, first of all, on, um, you know, James Hall is having a great season. I love his pass rushing ability at his age. It, uh, you know, the guy has a lot of heart. But, you know, he seems to be a liability against the run. And, you know, I was reading something about that, and I kind of noticed it too. Uh, Victor Adenizu, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, uh, had been there, you know, and he was really good. He wasn't such a great pass rusher, but he was – you know, really good and solid against the run. And I wonder, where did he land? How's he doing? And do you think that he would have uh, – it would have been good to keep him? And also, I would love if you could touch on the defensive side of the ball, the, on the defensive line, the people like Scott, Selby, you know, Ryan Sims, CJ. You know, if you think any of those are doing more than just holding a spot, if you, if you see a ceiling, a high ceiling for any of those. I'd love to hear that. Uh, you know, I'll say one thing about uh, Adiyanu. I, I think I, I'm, and I'm like you, man. I 
pronunciation is not my ball game, as 3K will attest to. <laughs> uh, he just signed with Cincinnati this week. He Cincinnati did. has had some injuries on their defensive front, and they signed him. Um, you know, you're right. He was a good run stopper. He had that role-playing ability to kind of stop that. But I, I think that, you know, they've been using um, Ayu in that role. And Ayu's one of those guys I think that's kind of quietly – He's a contributor in the sense that, you know, he can rush. I mean, he's not the best rusher, obviously, but he can rush. He can play the run. And having him out there, it seems like it kind of throws defenses off, or offenses off a little bit because they don't quite know what to do. You know, whether, it, you know, that he's in there, that means a pass rush. Whether he's in there, that means they're playing the run. I, you know, it, it's a helpful thing to have. And then, you know, Gary Gibson's another guy that's having a quietly contributing this year. You know what I mean? I, he's a – He's the he's the starting defensive tackle next to Fred Robbins, and you don't hear his name a lot, but and that's kind of you know that's just par for the course for the for the the job he has to go in there and do, and and that's you know tie up a center, tie up a guard, keep that uh you know let those other guys get in there and get the pass rush going, and that's a you know I, I just I, I was thinking about that this week. That's a guy that really whose name hasn't gotten much praise this year, but you know he came in, he replaced a first round draft pick and Adam Carricker last year, and. Then he got hurt a few games into the season last year, and he spent spent the year on IR. But you know Scott Darrell Scott, he's a guy he's he's done well against the run. Um, I think you know one thing with the front the Rams front four, you got to give him credit for, it, and certainly Lauren Ice behind him helped a lot with this too. But um, you know they've done a really good job on those third and fourth down short yardage situations against the run. If you look, they're kind of one of the better teams in the league against in in those situations, and and I think that you know those guys have really helped help themselves with that. Now, for the long term, I don't know. Selvi actually, you mentioned Selvi. Selvi has been pretty good against the run this year, too. Um, but, you know, they're contributors, and I think that's the that's the, the key thing with the Rams' defensive line, because it's not outside of Chris Long and, and Fred Robbins and James Hall. They're useful players. They're not all-stars. They're not guys that are going to go to the Pro Bowl, but they're important contributors, and, and you know, that's all you can ask for at this point. Well, do you think Selfie, as small as he is, could ever be? Do you think he has the potential to be a starter and you know, in a real sack specialist type guy? I'll jump yeah, in if I could. That's I, a good I'd, I'd say definitely a, a spot specialist. I mean, he, you know, you're talking about a guy who's who's already got one and a half sacks in his rookie season, and he is small in terms of weight, but he's six foot four, so you can use him in different kind of passing situations, depending on if you want to stun him inside or just have him rush the edge. I, th- I think the issue with this defensive line, and even Selvi specifically, is that the Rams haven't gotten a chance to really build the defensive line they want. You talked about a guy like Adam Carricker who came over from a previous offensive line, and, and the fact that you've got names like Fred Robbins, Gary Gibson, James Hall, C.J. Ayu, all these guys we had to bring in that weren't drafted by the Rams. You know, the only people on the defensive line that were drafted by the Rams is Chris Long, Selvi, Sims, and Scott. Um, so, so you're talking about a defensive line that's kind of a patchwork effort as opposed to other units where we pulled these guys in specifically and said, these are the guys that we're going to spend draft picks on. This is the, these are the group of guys that we can fit into our system. Until we get that on the defensive line, I don't think that we're going to have enough consistency and chemistry within people to really work them in effectively, especially when you talk about a guy like Selby, who obviously, given his size and given the limitations, you're going to have to take the pressure away from him to create. You've got to, put, you've got to make him a part of a larger coalition of defensive line players 
that allows him and allows the coaches to use him to the best effect, to make the most out of, you know, the obvious talents that he's got. Yeah, and it's certainly, you know, to to the coaches' credit, they've done a good job with, I mean, you know, they have they actually had to replace some, like you say with Adam Carricker, replace some, some draft picks from previous eras. And, and they've, you know, they've done a good job filling in and kind of making the best, making the best of what they can get and who they have. And, and, you know, Fred Robbins is a guy, obviously, that they, a free agent they signed this year who's had an impact on the defensive line. But, you know, you're absolutely right, 3K. This is a unit they're, they've got their signature on, but they don't really have their stamp on it yet. You know what I mean? If you can, if you catch my drift. But that's good because that means they can get better, you know. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, definitely. I mean, look at the lack of talent there. When, you, when you're talking about guys like C.J. Ayu and Gary Gibson, who are not that talented but well-coached and technically sound, and then guys like yeah. Fred Robbins and James Hall who may have talent but are at that tail end of their careers, we don't have anybody that's both stocked with talent outside of Chris Long that, that has enough talent and is coming up you know, on the cusp of his peak or a rookie or even a guy in his prime. The only guy that we have like that is Chris Long. So there's definitely room to improve in terms of a personnel depth chart, you know, aspect. Oh, yeah. Well, and you know our coach is, is one of the, the best there is at, at coaching those lines. So that gives us a lot of hope there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's part of what what we're starting to see this season is that if you give him the same way in New York where he had the chemistry and he could pull guys like OCU Minora and, I mean, obviously when you got a, you know, out of Dallas, Texas, big straight hand, when you, when you have guys that are there long enough and you have the talent, you can make the most out of guys that can do things. You can make Justin Tuck into a reliable defensive lineman. He just hasn't – I mean, you're talking about a guy in his second year – hasn't had a lot of time, hasn't been able to craft the kind of players with the specific talents that he wants. I think if we give him time, we're going to get great things out of the defensive line, and it's only going to get better. We're already getting great things. What I think we're tied for the league leading sacks. That, that's a system. That's yeah. a system that's working. So it's definitely a credit to Spagnuolo, defensive coordinator, Flayhole, and the rest of the coaching staff. And, you know, it's something, going back to something you said, 3K, the technically sound aspect of it. I mean, you can't – that's really kind of been the – the third man to to mix my metaphors there. The third man for the defense this year is you've got all those guys. I mean, you know, they're all technically sound. They understand the system. They understand their assignments. They understand their roles, and they're vulnerable at times. They have their weaknesses, obviously. But you know, just knowing where to be and knowing what your assignment is and knowing what your role is that goes a long way, especially when you mix in those superstars like Chris Long, James Laurinaitis, Ron Bartel. You know, you've got that kind of Fine of talent there, and then the players that have filled in around it, you know, they're playing a sound, solid game, and then that that goes a long, long way. I mean, that's something you didn't see last year from the Rams, and you see it more this year, even though you haven't really had significant changes to personnel, other than you know you've got the the, the change at outside linebacker and defensive tackle, but other than that, it's the same unit. Hey, you know, tell me, guys, if I'm off base here, but I'm thinking if we could just grab a, a great weak side linebacker that could play side to side, and you know, if we had that, or off, keep building our offensive line, uh, do you think uh, Bartell and Fletcher, seems to me that those two have ingredients for, for, for real starting material and maybe get one more really good cornerback to, you know, be a good nickel. Um, do you think that would pretty much – ice our, our defense right there if we could get that? 
I, you know, you'd have a you'd, that'd be a pretty solid unit with with that kind of talent. I mean, Bartell. I mean, he's having a. I mean, his the season he's having. Now, San, the San Francisco game last week was was a little weak for the secondary, but it, you know, you, I, you can't put a lot of that on Bartell. You know, he's had a really good season. We had uh, Casey Joyner from ESPN run the numbers um, in the days before the San Francisco game, and and you know the stats that Ron Bartell's putting up this year are comparable to Darrell Rivas last year. So that's, I mean, you know, it speaks volumes about Bartell. You know, he doesn't get the interceptions, which is kind of, I think, what separates the Pro Bowl cornerbacks or the the sexy pick for favorite the top cornerbacks versus the. Uh, you know, just a solid, you know, the guy that the reliable, dependable cornerback that that can form the essence of a secondary. But you know, he so that's a little. Bartell's bit of still been Bartell. dealing with that bruised thigh too, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I talk about a tough guy on the team. You know, Stephen Jackson's been out there with his hand banged up, but Bartell's had to come in not starting because of shoulder injuries and. uh a bruised thigh in the last few games, and he's come in and played strong and played solid. I mean, actually, they've had to turn to him despite trying to rest him a little bit in some of those games. I know about Tampa Bay, the Carolina. That's a you know, it's that's to, much to his credit. You know, there was a question when they re-signed him as a free agent. Like, is he going to? Are you going to step it up? Or are you going to take it to the next level in your game? And, and you know, a leader on the field, a leader on the locker, and, and you know he's certainly done that this year. Playing through those kind of injuries—that's a—I I really I can't say enough about that with with Bartell. That's that's a really impressive thing, and to play as well as he's played, playing through those injuries too. What have you heard about Fletcher? I mean, it scares me that that uh, Spags would sit him in favor of Dockery, and I'm wondering—is is the guy a prima donna or something? Seems like. Do you think he has the potential to be a real you know solid starter or? Is he just holding somebody's spot? Three K. What do you think? I, I, I think he. I think he's a starter. I mean, you know, he may never be the shutdown corner, but I think he's a solid starting cornerback. He has been this um, season. Well, I think his ceiling's higher than Bartell. You know, I tried to ask the guys at the Post Dispatch last week in their game thread, and Jim Thomas kind of came back at me that Spagnuolo doesn't offer interviews. You know, mid game, which was you know. A, a silly retort, but whatever it was. The, the issue with Fletcher is it seems like the Rams are taking him as kind of a system spot cornerback, but it's not like as if he's been in a position where he's really failed. The, the issue with Fletcher was that they pulled him out before the game. They had a cornerback in Kevin Dockery who was failing. And I, to a degree, I don't care how much you believe in a guy or believe in what you're going to try to do. When things are going really wrong, and I guess we'll get to the coaching decisions later, and especially when it comes to Kevin Dockery, but you've got to look back and say, look, Bradley Fletcher's gotten it done at every stage in every aspect, from his rookie season as a developing rookie until that injury, and this season he and Bartell have formed a potent combo. And Fletcher has been the guy on a lot of the most explosive receivers that we faced. He's getting it done, and he's getting turnovers. He's making the most out of fumble returns. Now, obviously, that Arizona fumble return, it didn't end as well as we might have hoped, but he was that close. It's certainly more than we've gotten out of a guy like Bartell, out of O.J. Otagway this season. I just don't understand how, you know, the coaching decision to pull to pull Bradley Fletcher out of the starting lineup and, and then see, seeing what he did later, I just don't understand, but go ahead. 
Well, and it's hard to say from the outside, obviously, what's going on. As as Jim Thomas it's impossible. told Enrique, it's impossible to say. Spagnolio does not give mid-game interviews. But it's such you know, a great quote. There were some rumors that you know maybe it was a practice thing. He wasn't practicing as hard as they, they thought he should have been. But and I don't know. But I will say this: that you know the guy had a pretty, pretty serious. I mean, what was he tore? His, he hyperextended his knee and tore both his ACL and MCL, wasn't it? Was that the injury? Yeah, but I mean, even beyond that, the, whatever that's the it was. Good, good, man. Well, I was just gonna say whatever the injury was. I mean. It was very possible that he would not have been ready to play at the start of this season, but he he was. I mean, you know, he came back in camp. He was strong in camp. He had a good camp, had a good preseason, and lo and behold, he was ready to go weeks and weeks ahead of time. And, and you know, you just don't get there without I – mean, you don't overcome an injury with like that without putting in a little work. I mean, that's one thing you hear the coaches in the – and the front office talk about Sam Bradford, how impressive his work ethic was in getting over that shoulder injury and rehabbing himself and, and getting himself into playing condition. Well, I mean, Bradley Fletcher did that this off season too, and you know during since his injury last year, I mean, to get back up to speed and playing at the level he was. And there was you know and there was talk like, well, you have that kind of injury, you come back from that kind of injury, you're not going to be 100. percent It's going to take you some time to get up to speed, but. By God, he was up to speed in week one. I mean, he really was, and you got to give the guy credit for that. Now, this practice thing, I don't know if it's a practice thing or not. Like I say, we're not there. We're not at practice. We're not in the locker room. We don't we don't have that the ability to say on that. But it seems to me that, you know, you can't – I don't know. I don't know. I mean, to me, you play your best players, regardless of what sport it is. Now, sometimes the matchup – I hope in there starting – this week, I we're going to need man. him against Roddy. <laughs> I mean, we're going to need him big time. Definitely. Absolutely. You got Tony Gonzalez and Roddy White. We're going to need him. That's definitely true. And I would say two things. You talked about the idea of him bringing a prima donna. Number one, we've never heard anything like that, you know, reference Bradley Fletcher in the past. So I don't know how something could happen that this week, all of a sudden, he's become a prima donna. And number two, and, and, you know, tertiary timers who read my stuff know this. I watched the college game. You don't get prima donnas out of Iowa. You don't. There, there are no prima donnas that come out of Iowa. Kirk Ferentz doesn't br- build those kind of players. Maybe from Miami, sure. USC, yeah, you're going to get those guys. Not from Iowa, man. You don't get prima donnas. So it, it, it's hard to believe that he did something that, that's that unusual for his character, his resume, and then obviously given everything he's done since he's come to the NFL, given his rehab from injury. I just don't see how that's possible. I really believe that it was something they saw in the system that they thought Dockery did better than Bradley Fletcher specifically. I don't know what it was. But they thought that was going to give them the edge. It wasn't the case. <laughs> it's really that simple. I, you know, whatever they, whatever they thought was going to work, it didn't. Yeah. And I I'm wondered so if a little bit if it was maybe a speed thing. I'm I mean, so is Dockery faster than? I was worried about that. Sorry. Yeah. Is is Dockery a faster guy and just you know a dead sprint with receivers than Fletcher is? I mean, I you know I don't know. I'm I'm asking you guys that if that was a matchup. I'd have to look. And at obviously, it. I I think they don't. I don't think you can. You go back and you. I watched the game parts of the game again as much as I could tolerate this week. Um, you go back and look at. It. I you know I don't think they were fully prepared for. You know, Troy Smith started against uh, Denver in London the week before, but I, I just don't think they were fully prepared for the way that the difference in the 49ers offense 
with Troy Smith versus Alex Smith or, you know, whatever other options they had. It worries me that, speaking of that, number one, they had two weeks. Number two, they consistently, when something does go wrong and something uh, a new monkey wrench gets thrown in, they don't seem to make those adjustments like they need to. And, and, and again, I'm from Texas. I don't get to – I'm out of the loop. I don't get to see them practice or anything like that. But, you know, just it, it bothers me that in several instances it seems like they're behind the curve and they don't adjust well. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's still a pretty young team at a lot. At, you go through position by position. It's still it's still a lot of young players on there. So I don't, you know, if maybe that has a little something to do with it too. Yeah, definitely. And David, we we got to start moving on, man. I want to thank you for your call. What part of Texas are you from, brother? Uh, I'm from West Texas, Odessa. I get to hear all about the Cowboys, but you know that's that's okay. I've I've had plenty of Ram Cowboy arguments, and I'm. Everybody I talk to, my friends, is like, "Wow, never would have thought the Rams would have a better record than the Cowboys at this point." And I'm like, "Hey, at least we're going the right direction." <laughs> I was gonna say, David, I grew up about five miles from downtown Dallas. Believe me, I get it in droves, brother. And I know out in West Texas, y'all got college football unlocked. So I hope you got an eye on college football for the rest of the season and give us some of your insights. Thanks for calling, man. Hey, I appreciate. It. Can you keep me on the line because my computer's in blitz? I can't. Definitely, definitely. I uh, thank you guys. I love your show. Hey, thank you, man. Hey, good stuff, man. Three K. What's to, going on? Hey, it's a good way to start the show. Good way to that start the good, show. I, good call. You know, I love my West I apologize Texas. Apologize again. Every, every time we get these guys from West Texas, man. I know. I was talking to Bobby last week. He said he was going to call talk about this football. So I know we got some things going on. You're going to talk about that lead defensive end. You're going to talk about that offensive tackle, man. We got some good things going on, brother. We had a it's a tech it was a Texan heavy episode of TS so far. You know, lots of Texans down here. The more the more the merrier, my friend. <laughs> Everywhere you go, there's Texans. You just can't escape and, it. And by the way, just to throw it in there, we got a comment in the open thread from a Smith six twenty, who said that Spag said earlier in the week that Fletcher's knee was bothering him and that Docker Dockery was playing really well, so they gave Dockery the start. Um, I mean, I know, I know, I had seen that, but that, that's hard to believe. I mean, given that, you know, you, you've got to evaluate guys. If Bradley Fletcher's knee was that that suspect, why play him eventually anyway? Well, after two what it was two throws. I mean, Dockery got burned twice, once on the 65 yard catch to Josh Morgan, and, and the and like a 30 some yard catch. And then you saw Fletcher I mean, in there all of a sudden. I mean, you know. Yeah, the thing to me is if he's healthy to go and as a starter, he starts. If he's not, then you rule him out and you sit him for the entire game. I don't see why you would say, uh, he's not healthy, but we'll wait till the guy in front of him fails and then we'll put him in. Well, that doesn't make sense. If he's healthy to go, you let him go. Yeah, absolutely. Play your best players. Let, I mean, it's just the bottom line. It's the it's, – it's the, that's the rule. You play your best players. You can't. You're not. You're not going to go wrong. The more you, it's not a fantasy team. You know. You you play your best players. Baseball, football, whatever your game is. And hey, speaking of best players, man, I know we got a lot of a lot of stuff to touch on, and we we only got about 35 minutes left, but we got a new segment this week, Van. A new segment, 3K. I am. I now we've talked a little bit about this. Is VT ready? He's ready, but but he he wants the audio to hit first, and then he's going to jump on afterwards. That's my understanding. All right. 
So we're going to hit it up. Let's see. This is this is the first episode, I guess, episode. I don't know. First issue? First instance? I don't know what to call it. This is VT's new segment. It's called Super VT Brothers. Here we go. All right. Welcome to the first edition of Super VT Brothers. And this week we're going to look at a couple of guys. The first guy we're going to look at is none other than Sam Bradford. <laughs> He posted some, you know, some pretty good stats this week, 30 for 42, 251 yards and a touchdown. But the reason why I picked Sam this week is because, hey, he's one of these guys, He, it just seems like for a rookie, he doesn't make that one huge mistake that kills you every week. It seems like uh, he, he's way ahead of the curve here. Now, he did have the one interception that was called back, but that was a legitimate call. So you can't count that against him, in my opinion. And, you know, at the end of the game, he drove down, got the field goal to tie it up. So, you know, what more can you say about Sam Brad? I had to put him on the list in this first edition here. Uh, another guy, the last, the second guy I'm going to talk about is none other than, who else? Chris Long. Chris had three tackles and only one sack. Now, there is honorable mention for CJIU, but Chris Long, one of these guys, his motor's running. He had so many plays. I mean, there were, he's one of these guys where the stats don't show the true story on the field. Uh, Chris Long has come a long way. So, that's about it for this edition of Super VT Brothers. I love it, man. That was mixed. That, well mixed, too, I must say. You, you know, VT's got the video breakdown. He's got the audio breakdown. And VT should be on the line. You there, man? Hey, how's it going, guys? Brother, What's that's up, as VT? good as it gets. <laughs> Good stuff, my man. Hey, I gotta say, you got a pretty good Texas accent there, 3K. I've been practicing it for 29, 30, 31 years, I guess, since I could start speaking. <laughs> it, it should be pretty. I can do Odessa, I can do Abilene, I can do Corpus Christi, I can do Tyler, of course, I can do Dallas. Come on. Now, are there, now Texas is big. I didn't. Are there that many dialects to Texas? Man, that's offensive. Seriously. Uh, man, I, 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 almost, I almost have to demand that you take that back. Of course there are, man. It's Texas. It's Texas. Well, all right. It's a – I understand. I understand. No, it's all good. Hey, BT, great segment, man. Great segment. Hey, thanks, man. I had a lot of fun making that. But just want to take a minute and talk about that game. And, uh, you know, normally I'm usually sick for about a week after a 49er loss. But for some reason I was only sick for about a day and a half. So – I mean, that's a good sign because, you know, kind of reality set in. I got thinking about how the game went and thought about our future and where we're headed, and a lot of things had me excited. And I think the one thing that has me more excited than anything is Sam Bradford. And uh, we've all yeah. talked about the Rams and how they need to get that killer instinct. And I think I got another audio clip there of Bradford talking about finishing and getting a killer instinct. I don't know if you could play that now if you want a 3K. Yeah, give me one second, man. I was out about moving things, looking up some stats. I got it right here in front of me. All right. So this is the – introduce it again now. What is this, the Bradford clip referencing? Yes, yeah, the Sam Bradford post-game press conference. They were talking to him by his locker, and he talked about what they need to do. So it really had me excited. All right, now, All right. let's check it out. Finishing. Um, you know, somehow we've got to find the killer instinct. We've got to be able to put things away when the game's on the line, when we've got the balls and offense we need to go and make it a two-possession game with seven, six minutes left on the floor. Now, what he said there was 
we got to finish. We got to develop that killer instinct. We got to find a way to put points on the board and make it a two-possession game with six to seven minutes to go. And if that didn't sum up that entire game, or at least at the end of the game, then I don't know what did. I mean, that was a perfect assessment. And you know, this kid has me really excited. It's it's pretty hard not to be. I mean, the talent, the comp. I mean, it's just you know, it's amazing. You have to kind of. Stop yourself and think that this guy's just a rookie. You know what I mean? When you watch these exactly. games. Exactly. And you know, it's there's one thing I was going to say too. You know, when it came to Bradford, was that, you know, I think he kind of senses that it's, you know, I mean, hey, look, I was going to talk about the pooch punt. I mean, and that, to me, I mean, I was thinking going back and look at the film, and it was the start of the fourth quarter, and you have a chance to go up by ten, with a 52-yard field goal. You know. And I just, I mean, I know you're on the road. I know it could have been a tough field goal. But, hey, Josh Brown is the best in the business. And I really, that that still boggles me right now, why we didn't do that. So what's your guys' take on that? I'll, I'll play devil's advocate. And, you know, if I if I had to put myself on one side, I'm on the same side that we probably should have done it. But I'll play devil's advocate. I, I would say this. You've only given up one touchdown. It was on a, It was on a drive when you had Kevin Dockery in. Things happened that you weren't prepared for in terms of the personnel that were on the field. And when you readjusted after that touchdown, you've obviously seen a lot of defensive success. So you're into the fourth quarter. You haven't given up that many points. You, you've got issues in developing the offense, but you don't have those issues developing the defense. So if you're saying, you know, kick a field goal, maybe you get the three points, how much more are you going to get out of this offense? Probably not that much. It's turning into a defensive game where you're going to win it on the defensive side, guys like Laurinaitis, Chris Long, who was getting pressure, those kinds of things. And then thirdly, a good pooch punt, which we got, at, you know, obviously the situation dictated itself that we had to pull it back and redo it. But a good pooch punt makes it so difficult for them to move the ball down the field that they hadn't been able to do. You're putting a lot of pressure on that 49s offense and a relatively new quarterback to their system that in the preseason facing the same quarterback while Troy Smith was on Baltimore threw, I think, three interceptions. So it's not like the Rams haven't been able to beat Troy Smith. They just hadn't beat him while he was on the 49ers. So uh, I, those are those are points that I look at that I, I guess you can defend it. But it's difficult to do, obviously, in hindsight because it didn't work out the way we had hoped. But there are certain things I think – and, I, you know, I laid them out. I don't know if it was a comment or a story or whatnot. This is just one of those issues that Spagnuolo isn't really to take the knife to the heart yet. He's willing to hold the knife but he's trying to make these little cuts instead of really stabbing it. And that was just one of those – it was one of those times where you want to see him try to, try to give it to the team and say, win this for me, instead of saying, hold on, let's see if we can have it the other way, where the 49ers aren't ready to win it, if that makes sense. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's, my, it's my, almost like you, with, with the schedule they've had and the teams – it's kind of funny because you go back and look at the schedule. The Rams have played a lot of – Flawed teams. Now, not to say the Rams aren't flawed in and of themselves, but the Rams have played some flawed teams, and it's it's almost like there's a certain element of it's like, well, you know, let's put more of the onus on this team to do the to 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 get the win and 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 make them screw up, you know, force a forced error on them, an unforced error on that and on that team. Put the ball back at the three yard line. Make Troy Smith and San Francisco take it 98 yards down the field um, to score a touchdown or get a field goal or whatever it is they need. But you know, I'm going to use the def- a solid defense, move the ball, and I think you saw you saw that too with 
um, the the third and long, the fourth and long, and the 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 third and long and the fourth and long at, in late in the game that were so or in overtime. I'm sorry, to, that were so killer for the Rams. I think it was kind of a similar, you know, philosophically similar move to the pooch punt. And the, just to make a couple. Just a couple quick points, and then I'll hand it over to you, VT. If, if the offense, who had the first possession in overtime, gets the points on the board, you know, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, chances are we're not even talking about this. We're talking about it as being a conservative call that worked because we would have ended up winning the game. That's number one. And then number two, when you, talk, when, when you look at, you know, the, the idea that Troy Smith was able to do it, I guess, on third and fourth down, that's the situation you want to be in. You want to have that third down so far away that you feel confident in doing the things you need to do. We just didn't do it. And I think that, and I said it before, that proves what kind of team we are right now. We're not a great team. We may not even be a good team, but we're good enough to put ourselves in positions to do things. We just don't have a lot of guys besides Sam Bradford who can come down and get that fourth quarter drive to get the field goal. You've got a Daniel Fells, and I know that's going to hurt, Van, but you've got a Daniel Fells who's going to drop that pass. <laughs> You have guys, you know, Kevin Dockery, your depth cornerback, yeah. who's not going to get it done early on. We're just not that team yet, but we're putting ourselves in position to do things that we haven't been able to do the last three years. Go ahead, VT. Well, and you go back to that third. I'm sorry. You just you go back to that third and long, and then the fourth and long situation in overtime. And you know, would would people have been questioning the call if Kevin Dockery and Michael Lewis in there in the nickel package don't blow the assignment on Frank Gore? Of course not. I mean, you know, yeah. it's a then well, you look at it like that. It's like, well, who wouldn't? You know, I'm you're, you're gonna put an offense in position to go. What was it, 32 or 38 yards? I mean, whatever it was, it was some ridiculous yeah. number of yards to go on a third down for any offense. Yeah, when it was third and 32, I'm I'm sure yeah. Spagnuolo was thinking, man, I made the right call on that pooch punt, just like everybody else, you know. I mean, these guys are yeah, not going to burn on this, and they're, you know, they're not going to score. But then on, on the other side of the coin, uh, having that much confidence in the defense, you've got to be thinking at that point that if you kick the field goal, you're pretty much going to win the game, you know, mm-hmm. almost like a game-winning field goal scenario, you know. So I guess it could go, go kind of either way. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It does. it does, and that's part of the problem of being this team is that either way – you don't have enough to supplement what you need to see. We don't have enough talent on the defense, whether you're talking about outside linebacker, whether you're talking about defensive line. We don't have enough talent to say, look, I can give it to these guys and they're going to get it done. You, see, you can't say the same for the offense. Yeah, you've got Sam Bradford and Steven Jackson, but you've got an offensive line that isn't built to run block. You've got a wide receiving core that just isn't, you know, talented enough to make plays in and of themselves, and you don't have tight ends who are experienced enough to, to get the game done. E- either way, you're, you're asking your team to make plays when you haven't had a team that you've built personally to fit the system and give yourself enough talent to win games on the road against, you know, divisional foes that you've got to beat in order to get to the playoffs. Yeah, and the last point yeah. I'll make before I take off is I was watching uh, Mike Francesa on the Yes Network, and now I haven't really watched any basketball this year, but he was talking about either the Knicks or the Nets, one of the two. And he said the reason why it hurts so much, because they're losing a lot of games, you know, right now, they're, you know, close ones or having a big lead, blowing it. He said it's because they're just good enough to be competitive, but just good, just, you know, on that edge to just really drive you crazy, you know? They do all kinds of good things, and all of a sudden, you know, they're still young, and then they have this big slide, like in the fourth quarter or whatever. 
Yeah. And it reminded me so much of the Rams right now. You know? No, absolutely. And you know what's funny? I was just thinking about this the other day. It's like you go back to what, you know, kind of what we were talking about on the side and on the, on the radio and all the other venues in July and August or, you know, into the preseason a little bit. And and there was this thought that's like, well, it's like we just, just a more competitive team, just a more competitive team, just a more – well, we've got a much more competitive team this year. Exactly. And in a way, it just makes it harder because – you go in and you know you lose these games by two and three points, and 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 that just makes it even harder to kind of suffer through that and deal with that than, you know, where you just the week in week out ass whooping that you kind of came to expect last year. Exactly. When you're it's terrible, kind of funny because you set the expectations oh. and then you know. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys, I'm going to take off. But hey, uh, great show, and I had a good time last week. And uh, go Rams, man! Hopefully, we can pull off the upset this week. Go Rams. Thanks a lot, VT. Thanks for everything, bud. All right. Hey, take care, man. Good stuff from VT, man. Good stuff from VT, as always, man. I'm not surprised. So we're we're looking at 20 minutes left. Anything else we need to to go over with the San Francisco game, or are we prepared to put that behind us? I think it's done. What else can we say about the San Francisco game? Let's move on onward and upward, right? Hey, fair enough. Got a big game against the ATL this week, though. I was going to say, we're moving onward and upward. It's Atlanta. Finally a game that I can watch on my local television. Oh, that's right. I'm excited. The ATL, 3K, this is a tough matchup. That's, Atlanta's a quietly become the, the best team in the NFC, the best team you've never heard of in the NFC this year. The, I'm, you know – they're they're similar to the Rams. I know people want to make the kind of Sam Bradford, Matt Ryan comparisons. The difference is Atlanta had an offense that was ready to go as soon as Matt Ryan came in there. We didn't. We just didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I and a lot of people will point to Roddy White. Maybe we can get to this at the end of the game, but yeah, you know, it's a number one wide receiver and you saw it in the overtime in their Thursday night game against Baltimore. All you've got to do is throw the ball up for a wide receiver like that, and he's going to make the play to win the game for you. We don't have anybody even close to that on this roster. No. No, not at all. And, you know, we've got the role players there, but you don't have that. I mean, that's the that's a big difference to step in. You know, well, look, what, look at what you had with Mark Clayton even. Sure. And, it, you know, the thing with Mark Clayton was that got Sam Bradford as far as he got in the first couple weeks. It's hard to see a Sam Bradford that's gotten as far as he has without the development that he was able to enjoy when Mark Clayton was on the roster. Mark Clayton, more or less, you could argue, saved Sam Bradford's ass those first couple weeks. He had some really big catches. There was one down the sideline where he pulled in almost a ridiculous hands catch. Yeah. There were routes that he was running that you know nobody else on the on the roster could run, the kind of routes that we were praying Keenan Burton would be able to develop. Nobody could do the things that Mark Clayton could because of his experience, especially his experience playing for a talented Baltimore team. He he allowed Sam Bradford to develop faster than I I, I would suggest that pe- that people shouldn't have expected, and it's gotten us to the point that we have. And now the expectations have been raised to the point that you're asking Sam Bradford to do the same things he was doing with Mark Clayton, except you've got to do them without him. It's difficult to do, but that's the reality that we're dealing with. Yeah, and you know another guy that – 
I mean, he's obviously I'm not comparing him to Mark Clayton. There's a long way to go before you kind of, you know, get to that veteran experience and, and have that many years in leagues. But he has talent. Is Denario Alexander? Now it sounds like I, there's kind of a mix. You read the kind of official site, and it sounds like oh, he's definitely in the mix this week. It just depends on whether or not you know the, it's a schematic matchup against Atlanta that they'll whether they make him active or not. And then you read the post-dispatch, and, and they're a little more, you know, don't look for Alexander this week. He's he's probably not going to play. And, and it's hard to say. You know, the post-dispatch guys know what's going on and, and are on the field all the time and can read the context clues pretty well. So I'd say yeah, but don't, don't ask him during the game, man. They they don't do, no. you know, first-half interviews with uh, Coach Fags. They, they don't do They mid-game. do not. They do not. But um, so you're probably not going to see Alexander this week, which – you know, there's a guy that that is capable of giving the Rams uh, receiving packages a little different look, some different routes to run, a guy that can play on the outside a little bit better than, you know, some of the other guys they have on the roster. And, and uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a need these Rams have. Yeah, it's tough because Denario's the – and I'll say this, even with Mark Clayton and Donnie Avery on the roster, he's the most talented receiver we have. He has – the size, the strength, the technique, and the ability, the the athleticism, the natural raw talent to do things that nobody else on the rec- on the receiving core can do. The problem is he has a body that's almost like LeRon Robinson's. It, it just doesn't hold up. The question yeah. is how how much pressure do you want to put on his body versus his talent? You know he can do things, and he showed it the very first game as soon as he stepped on the field. But if you if you game plan for him being there for a full sixty minutes, and he doesn't end up making it through the game, what are you going to do? You if you're going to put Denario out there, here's my only issue: you've got to have a a comprehensive backup plan. You've got to have a plan B that says we can do this even without Denario. It's been tough, but we've done it thus far only because we know that he wasn't there. If you're going to plan yeah. for him being there, you've also got to have the backup plan. And you don't wonder if, if uh, it sounds like Marty Gilliard's a guy that could see some reps this week. He was practicing with the first team this week, and, you know, earlier in the season there was some talk that he wasn't seeing the reps that, you know, some people thought he would see at that point in, the, in, in his rookie year because, you know, he just hadn't quite picked up the offense yet. Um, he dealt with some injuries earlier in the year. Um, you know, and, and this week, you know the coaches came out in the post in the post practice press conferences really praised Marty, really talked him up a lot, and you know the guy was out there practicing with the first unit. So you don't kind of wonder if maybe you know he's a flanker positions his natural position. That's where the Rams have kind of worked him at in practice and in, in the preseason. So you don't wonder if if uh, you're not going to see some Marty Gilliard this week too. Yeah, and I mean, that makes sense. You know, the key for Sam Bradford is having multiple options out there to exploit, whether it's multiple tight ends, Bajima, Illinois Mike, you know, Fells, or even Fendi Onabun when he was available, and obviously now he's gone. But even in the wide receivers, you got Amendola, Clayton, mm-hmm. Robinson, Gilliard. He can make the most out of multiple options as long as you allow him different personnel to throw off the defense. So I think it makes sense to me. The key is, and you you spoke on it, is Gilliard ready to assume the role that he's given? 
And there's been reports, you know, like you said, there were reports that he had issues with the playbook, but then there were reports later that they were asking him to learn four different wide receiver slots. They were asking him to be all across the line and learn different roles. Whatever the role that they want him to assume this week, he's got to be ready and disciplined enough to hold that role throughout the entire game if that's what they're expecting to do. It's almost similar to Denario. Denario can do it with his athleticism. Gilliard's going to have to do it with his knowledge of the playbook and his ability to stay within the confines of whatever his role is. That's, that's almost dissimilar to what he did at Cincinnati, but, I mean, that's part of coming to the NFL. You're asked to do things. You've got to be able to do them to standard. Yeah, and that's, if, that, I mean, if that's I, not know, too army, I know that's an army phrase, but I don't I don't know how else to say it. You <laughs> you got a role, play your role, man, play your role. You got to play your role, and you got to do it to standard. Hey, but where where in life does that not apply? I don't know, man. I don't live normal life, so I don't know I don't know how normal life is supposed to work anymore. Is this a training <laughs> no go? I'm gonna give him a no go, man. Training block B, paragraph five. <laughs> Well, and you know, I'll say too, wide receiver is a position that, by all accounts, is one of the tougher ones for rookies to come in and pick up. So I, I, I think, you know, the image of Marty Gilliard coming in and being instantly a game changer in his rookie year was, pro- you know, is probably a little misguided from the get-go. I mean, we, it, 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 it's a position that takes receivers a while to get the hang of. I mean, sometimes you come in, you get a chemistry with your quarterback. Mike Williams, for instance, and it works out. Sometimes it, it, it takes a while to get up to speed. Donnie Avery, it, and, and that's just it, that's the way it is. I mean, that's the way it is as long as you're not the super athletic number one guy off the bat. Unless you're a Calvin Johnson for Detroit. Unless you're, you know, yeah. I can't think of somebody else. Maybe even Torrey Holt. Unless you're that guy that can come in and immediately have the knowledge and have the athleticism. It's going to take you a couple years. It was the same way with Miles Austin in Dallas. It was the same way with Vincent Jackson for San Diego. It was the same way for Brandon Marshall in Denver. It takes you a couple years to apply what you've gained in college and then develop on it within the system at the NFL level. It's not as simple as saying, this guy was good in college, he's going to be good in the NFL. So We'll have to see, man. I'm excited about giving him an opportunity. I don't know if this is the right game to do it, but, you know, when you're short when you're short shrifted at this point, what are you going to do? Hey, everybody's got to contribute if they can, you know. Uh, you know, speaking of that 3K, we've ta- uh, there's been uh, obviously Matt Ryan, Roddy White. We've talked about him today. We've talked about him all week on the site. It's a, uh, it's obviously the part of of the Atlanta Falcons and Michael Turner that everyone's pretty familiar with. The defense, though, you know, this isn't a defense you hear an awful lot about, and it's not. I mean, you look at the stats and you look at their numbers. It's not a defense that that excites people, but it's sort of like the Rams' defense in that it's a solid unit. It gets things done. It takes care of their. They take care of their assignments. Um, you know, they're effective in that regard. What? What? How? Take us through this matchup: the Rams' offense versus the Atlanta defense. It's it's going to be difficult. Um, Atlanta, obviously, you know, people are putting them at the top of the power rankings. They're putting them, you know, the NFC champion. They're already starting to throw that out. I think a lot of it depends on how you want to attack them. To me, a lot of it begins up front. They've got guys like, obviously, John Abraham, who's going to be out now. But they still got Babineau, Pariah Jerry, Chris Bierman, uh, Anderson, they, they've got guys that can work those front four and hold their roles long enough, especially in the passing game, to allow their cornerbacks to do things, whether it's Dante Robinson, who people may remember from the big hit earlier in the season against the Sean Jackson. They've got, 
I think it's Dakud, the free safety. He makes plays. I, I don't really like him as an NFL prototype, but he works within their system. They've got Brent Grimes, a cornerback who I really think is underrated. They, they've got a lot of people who can do the things within their system that they need them to do. And it's not about size or physicality. It's about discipline. And I think that's part. it's almost analogous to what the Rams are trying to do. You don't need guys to, to come out and be your first-round, second-round type picks. You need guys to play into a system and use the tools that you've got. They've got guys that are willing to do that. The biggest issue I have with Atlanta's defense that I think we can attack is their linebackers. I don't see their linebackers as being a really strong point. Um, you know, Sean Weatherspoon has had injury issues. I think he's out for the year, if I read that correctly. And people, you know, St. Louis fans might remember him from the University of Missouri. You got Curtis I think Lofton. Weatherspoon might be back this week. Is he? I thought I read he was gone for the season. I think he's back this week. Is what kind of I, the buzz? I mean, he practiced this week, so. See, I'm, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all over the place, man. Now Abraham, I haven't heard to... about. Abraham was questionable still, to, uh, you know, as of yesterday. I, so I don't know about yeah. that, but. I mean, either way, they've got injury issues, as every NFL team does, but they've been able to overcome them. But those linebackers, even when they've been healthy, they've had issues. I know C- Curtis Lofton, their middle linebacker practice in full on Friday, and so he should be able to go. But that's somebody that you can definitely attack. He racks up tackle numbers. Um, he was a former OU Sooner product. But but his tackle numbers are a large result of the fact that he's trying to step back and make tackles at a second level, whereas a guy like James Laurinaitis is willing to attack and put him out at the first level. I think that's where we've got to win the game in terms of attacking the uh, – the Atlanta defense is work those linebackers, work the second level. You've got a guy in the Amendola who can do anything, anything from the slot position. You gotta make the most of them. I don't I don't think that's a big surprise for Rams fans. We've been willing to do that. But tomorrow's a day that you gotta get it done and that I think to me that's the biggest target on the Atlanta defense. Well that's I mean that's a good matchup then for you know, the 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 short passing game that everybody loves so much, but they like can you say, you got Amendola with that. You got Gibson's. You know, Gibson's a good matchup for that. That's probably why you're seeing more Gilliard work worked into the mix this year, in uh, this week in, ahead of this game. So uh, maybe old Daniel Fells can can put up some impressive numbers this week. Uh oh, certainly is another guy to keep an eye on. I mean, just in terms of exploiting that matchup. It's definitely a defense know. where I think yak ability plays a big role. Yeah. Absolutely. It could be a good game. I mean, I, I think it, you know, it could be a more interesting game that I was kind of surprised earlier in the week. I haven't looked lately, but the the Falcons were only three point favorites. And I think that's fair. You know, St. Louis has been very good at home. Um, Atlanta doesn't do a great job of stopping the pass, which is what St. Louis is becoming as a passing team. Um, they're allowed, they're allowing so far they've allowed, I think 2,200 yards in the air, uh, the percentage, they've done a good job at cutting out percentages, but a lot of that is because teams are attacking the sidelines on them. I think this is a game where I think we can do some things over the middle. And they're averaging 7.7 yards per reception, which is among the worst in the league. So yeah, you've got an ability here to get some yards after the catch. I, maybe that's why Gilliard becomes a factor this week. Absolutely. And man, 7.7 yards, yards per catch. Can you imagine that? sort of number from the Rams offense. I just it's stunning to think about. Stunning. It'd be impressive. It'd be I, the the problem is our system doesn't match up with that. It it's going to be about individual matchups and if guys are willing to make a play happen the same way Ole Miss just did against LSU to take the lead. Although there's a flag on the play and I know I'm pulling in my college game a little bit too early, but 
We got things what going is, on in the college world, man. Ole Miss so was down by five. They ju- just scored a touchdown to go up by one with a uh, obvious extra point coming that will put them up by two. There's a flag at the end of the play. It'll probably be, I don't know, taunting or whatnot, excessive celebration. I don't know what they call it. And unsportsmanlike conduct for having fun. Uh, begin next week with LSU, LSU Arkansas. I'm kind of looking forward to that game next it's Saturday, 2:30. You know, LSU controls its own destiny as long as they can win this game. They're not going to play in the SEC championship, which is strange. You know, you think about it. If Auburn gets through the conference and, and, and is able to win the SEC championship, there's an interesting you know dynamic there because LSU is number five. Maybe Auburn slips at the end. I don't know, man. It's it the BCS is so ass backwards. It, it's hard to rationalize versus, you know, NFL, where you have a system that makes sense and you have the answers for the questions that you need. It's strange. Oh, uh, it's just it's really all of college football because you get in, you know, you start talking about the Cam Newton thing and just you know the way that I, you know players get kind of treated in the process of all that. And, boosters and systems and recruiting and all that stuff works. It's just talk about something in need of some reform. But, you know, that's, this is not the time nor the place, I suppose. No, it's not. And, and I would just refer people, and I love him, Andrew Sharp, who writes at the Mothership at SB Nation. He's, he's an incredible writer. The kid can write. Um, but he's laid out, you know, the issues with how the media reported Cam Newton in his first story. And then his second story was solutions on how to fix the system. It was just great stuff to read. I know that's not what we do, but uh, it, it's worth mm-hmm. throwing out there. But we did a, we did have a comment that I'd like to get to if we could from Buckeye fan yes, five. We've got to get some After, college football. Got to man. He was talking about draft talk, pros and cons of trading in the draft. Um, uh, I know obviously a lot of that is going to be based almost entirely on the off season talks and how the CBA works out. What what do you think in terms of trading as a strategy? How do you, how do you approach the idea of trades? And it's something we've been over, you know, two years ago with Sanchez in the draft. There was trade heat. Obviously, mm-hmm. this year with number one, it wasn't as obvious. But there's always going to be talk about trades. How how do you feel about trades on draft day? I you know, part of it is just going to kind of depend on where the Rams end up in terms of draft position and what kind of players they want. Now, I think you get beyond the first round and trades are just something that happen. I mean, I don't, you know, it, it, it's, I think the trades that happen beyond that are more of, you know, trading to get the, like, I don't know. I'm not, what I'm trying to say is I would just leave those out of the discussion. I think you'd really, when you're talking about the impact of, of draft day trades, you're talking about a first round trade. And so a first round trade for the Rams is going to come down to, first of all, where did they end up in the draft order? Um, and, you know, and that kind of gets into the argument that we've been having uh, on Turf Show Radio and on the on the site recently. It's like, well, how many more games do the Rams win? I mean, I think it's it's very poss- it's very likely that this is the first year in a long time that the Rams are not in the top ten. So nice. you say you stick them in there about – say they win six games, seven games. That's – you know, you could be sitting at 13th, 14th in the draft. Um I guess for me it comes down to what, what kind of players they're looking for, what kind of um, – I mean, where, how far up do they need to go to get them? Is, it, is, um, is A.J. Green a top ten draft pick? I mean, how high do they need to trade up to get A.J. Green? Yeah, um, or Julio Jones for that matter. Or, you know, and right now those are the only two kind of guys in the first round where I could see 
would be above where the Rams would be picking. And and I know some draft pundits would kind of make the argument that Julio Jones does not merit a pick that high. But So then you get to the other side of the draft, okay, now how far down do they need to go to get a first-round wide receiver that isn't, isn't maybe worth the 13th or 14th pick in the draft, if they want a wide receiver, assuming they want a wide receiver in the first round of the draft this year. Um, you know, and, and some of that comes down to the – to the talent, um, you know, A.J. Green's a super talented guy. Is he a game changer? I mean, you know, is he, is he worth trading up for? And if you're talking about trading up from, you know, number 13 to number 7, I mean, what do you have to give up for that? That's, you know, do you surrender your third-round pick? Is it, a, is it a fourth-round pick? Do you swap kind of some picks in the later rounds? Um, you know, it just kind of all depends on, on what the return is. I mean, to me, if it's – if it's a pick swap or you lose a you lose a, a you know a third round pick but you're getting the player you want i mean why not it, it sounds worth it to me but i, I don't know 3k i mean I, I guess some of this talk really kind of comes down to where besides where the rams pick but where those where some of those players that they would be likely to target would end up in the draft is aj green a top 10 guy in my opinion yes but I, i'll okay there's, you know, as a draft nut, there's so many things I could say in response to that great, great diatribe, the great soliloquy that you just dropped on this. I'd say a couple things. Number one, in the off season, the draft, the draft drama, you know, when you build up to the combine, you have the combine pro days. It changes the perception of prospects beyond what it should. When you have guys like Darius Hayward Bay who go out and run a great 40, who have great workout sessions, when you have offensive linemen go out and have similar type workouts beyond their peers, it changes the stock of players beyond what it should. And the the only reason I bring that up is not for the Rams who might be drafting certain guys, but for people ahead of us. If we end up behind, and obviously the easy answer is going to be at Oakland, if we end up behind teams, who may be willing to take a flyer on guys who have great off-season workouts, who have great combines, then the question becomes, do other teams want to trade with us to get in front of them? Maybe we're drafting, let's say, 14th, and Oakland's drafting 15th, and a team like Miami or a team like, I don't know, Dallas wants to trade up to pick somebody in front of those teams that they are only going to be able to pull if they trade up. That's where I think our trades are going to come in, not in terms of trading up to get people, but trading backwards. Is A.J. Green a top-ten talent? Yeah, i got to say so right now. He definitely can do everything. He's definitely a game-changer. That's certainly the case. My personal opinion is that Julio Jones is a game-changer. Now, he's got to be worked into the right system. He doesn't have the same kind of explosiveness that a guy like A.J. Green does. He may not have the deep strides that A.J. Green does to work the sidelines. A guy like Randy Moss can do the same thing. But certainly in the mid-range game, almost akin to Roddy White, if you put him in the right system, he's going to be an NFL All-Pro. There's no reason. You, I, I can't see how he doesn't become a Pro Bowl receiver in the right system. But I'm going to throw this out there, and I know we're in overtime, so this is only going to be available for people who will listen to the full podcast. I'm going to throw this out. It's a bit radical. I'm going to throw it out. Here's my opinion. The Rams should not take a first or a second round draft pick on a wide receiver. Ooh, controversial, 3K. Controversial. It's a a bit wacky. And, you know, if I'm going to back it up, here's how I'm going to throw it at you. Teams like Indianapolis – New England, even Atlanta, and Roddy White has developed beyond most people's expectations. They're able to win games not because of 
a number one wide receiver, a top wide receiver, but around the team. And if you're mm-hmm. going to believe in a guy like Sam Bradford, you've got to build a system around him that incorporates wide receivers into a passing game that doesn't rely on specific talents. I'm not saying Sam Bradford wouldn't benefit from a talent like A.J. Green or even if you just take somebody from around the league, guys like Vincent Jackson who's going to be a free agent, whomever. That's not the case. What I'm saying is if he's that good, and by all accounts and from everything I've seen so far this season, he can be that good, there's no reason to spend that much value from a draft pick on somebody whose obvious talents are going to have to change the way you play the passing game. To me, Mm -hmm. the obvious needs for this team are outside linebacker and run blocking on the offensive line, specifically interior offensive line. If we spend those picks on those kinds of needs but upgrade the kind of overall wide receiver depth depth chart talents that we already have, I think that puts us in a better position to win as opposed to going out and getting the number one wide receiver. We saw what Randy Moss did for New England, and, yes, he changed the passing game, but they've been able to win without him. They're going to be able to win without him. They won without him beforehand. Indianapolis, without Marvin Harrison, without Reggie Wayne, is still able to do things, and it's because the system and the quarterback that they have that manages the system is good enough to get things done in the passing game to put them in position to win. That's how I feel Sam Bradford can best benefit this team, by managing the game with wide receivers who understand what they need to do for a full 60 minutes and letting the rest of the team win the games. Yeah. I don't know, man. What do you is is that too crazy? I, no, no. I think that's. I mean, I think that's kind of. I, I I'm. I think that you take what the Rams did at wide receiver before this season, and they got beat up for it, and you know, on the blogs and in the press a little bit. But I, I think that's probably not a bad guess as to what the Rams front office is thinking when it comes to wide receiver. Yes, we need to upgrade some of the talent we have at wide receiver, but we don't necessarily need. Um, you know that a, the kind of wide receiver, like you say, three K, that really becomes the definition of your offense as opposed to your quarterback. You got a quarterback that can spread around the ball. You got a quarterback that can run a system. You got a quarterback. You just you put those upgrades in there. Maybe it's a you get a healthy Donnie Avery and a healthy Mark Clayton, and you get a couple more wide receivers to throw into the mix uh, with the, the kind of talent those guys have. And you know, suddenly we're talking about an entirely different team here. And it is, but that, I mean, that's the case with Sam Bradford. You've got a different team with Sam Bradford at the helm than we've ever had, what, in the last 25 years, last 30 years. If you've, mm-hmm. got, a, if you've got a guy like Danny Amendola, and we've seen what Sam Bradford can do with Danny Amendola, if you upgrade your outside position, I'm not saying we don't make a move, but you bring in guys, I mean, like a Denario Alexander, who maybe has the talent but has certain flaws, but that you can incorporate into the system. I don't see why Sam Bradford can't make this into a into a very potent passing offense. You you can't rely on LeRon Robinson and Brandon Gibson to be the real options for a passing offense, but you still have other avenues to upgrade the passing team. And and that's to me that's the most valuable yeah. thing we can do with this offset this offense. Well, and especially and when you look mention, at the other needs. Like I said, and I know we talk about it all the time, but outside linebacker, you can't do yeah. the same thing. You can't pull in a you can't pull in a system outside linebacker and expect them to hold against offenses who are built on athleticism. It doesn't work. Well, let me let me throw this out at you then, because here's another huge need the Rams have, and this is a, you know a a running back to complement Steven Jackson. Now that you you bring in a, a talent at a position like that, 
and you've added a few more wrinkles to the offense. You've given it a, you've given it more more looks than than it currently has, and and I think that upgrades the overall package too. Without question, the the only reservation I have about that is that as I'm looking at this draft, I don't see anybody that really I get excited about second, third round that fits that bill. Somebody like a Javid Best, and I know he went first round, but those are the that's the kind of guy that I think that could really complement Steven Jackson and elevate the entire offense to another level. But if we can get a guy like that, I, I don't I don't see how that's less valuable than a number one wide receiver. Yeah. Well, and then the two, and I say it's hard to say what's going to happen with free agency because of the sure. all the CBA uncertainty. But assuming it gets fixed and assuming it gets back to some kind of semblance of what we've seen so far, is you know, I, there's the free agent route for some talent too at any position. Certainly. And all of this is conditional on what happens on the off season. It's still speculation, but I just wanted to throw it out there to go on the record, man. First and second round, those are some valuable picks and. You know, right now, going into this Atlanta game, I'm saying avoid the wide receiver, brother. Uh, a ballsy statement, 3K, but we would expect nothing less on the draft here. All right, one, real quick, one one draft-related question so we make the bonus materials, extra bonus materials disc here really worth the $25 you're going to spend to buy it. To buy extra the bonus. DVD, Blu-ray, DVD, whatever it is. I don't have a Blu-ray. I, I really, you know. Pirate Bay, Pirate Bay Turf Show Radio Podcast. <laughs> um, you, you threw up your wide an early version of the wide receiver big board 3K. And obviously, Green and Jones, top of the heap there. Um, some of the other receivers on the big board that might fit the bill you're talking about here. I mean, it depends on how you want to go at the system. Um, you know, Jarrell Jernigan didn't have a great game today playing for Troy. I think part of that is the system he plays in, but there's there's specific qualities that he has that are going to affect certain teams' passing offenses at the NFL level. You know, I compared him somewhat to Deshaun Jackson, and I think that's the kind of guy he can be incredibly quick, great top-end speed, that if you use him in the right system, Deshaun Jackson isn't a guy that you want to throw your intermediate routes to. But if you make him – run the right kind of routes, and throw them down the field, you can do things. Jonathan Baldwin, I know a lot of people like Baldwin at Pittsburgh. That's one of the big issues that we've had as, as Rams fans, and specifically for the passing offense, is that red zone passing game, and even the running game, but the passing game hasn't been that great either. He's the kind of guy that you can throw on those post corners and, and let him go up and get the ball. Um, and lastly, if I could throw one out there, it's Torrey Smith. Torrey Smith is going to end up being the guy under the radar that nobody understands why he's going as high as he is. And the reason why is he's misusing the Maryland system. And I know Bug Nasty may hate me for this because I know he's a Terps fan. But Torrey Smith has great deep end speed. He's the kind of guy that works that outside line as well as you can hope for in a college prospect. He's not going to go first round. He's not going to go very high. But if you work him into the right system, he can do things that you need him to do deep down the field on the sideline. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, uh, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, Donnie Avery's a guy that could be in the same, similar conversation. You know, had he sure. had he stayed healthy and been in the right and been in a consistent system over the last three years of his career, it'd be interesting to see what kind of player he he would be today. And it's going to be interesting to see what he gives us next year. He's going to come back next year. 
But it depends yeah, absolutely. on, you know, what we haven't seen Sam Bradford and Donnie Avery, you know, healthy on the same page. It's going to be interesting to see how that syncs up. Absolutely. Absolutely. 3K, it's been another excellent edition of Turf Show Radio. Parting thoughts? Parting, Parting shots, thoughts, Parting man. Thoughts. I'm watching, I'm watching Ole Miss – Jeremiah Masoli about to chunk it up, the Hail Mary to try to beat or try to tie LSU. Tossing it up 60 yards down the field, not a Jacksonville Jaguars type throw. That's going to end the game. LSU wins. SEC hopes alive in LSU, man. Man, oh man. It's a wild, wild woolly SEC this year. It's a wild college football year, and I really hope that, you know, all the top four go undefeated, Oregon, Auburn, Boise State, and TCU. I love seeing teams that do everything they can do and still not get a chance because it, I hope it ruins the BCS. <laughs> I do, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's silly. But, yeah, I mean, it'd be the same thing. If the Rams go, you know, 15-1 and one and don't get a chance to play in the playoffs – Come on, man. No, That's exactly. Simple, man. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's a uh, it's got, oh, it's but a because you play because you play in the NFC West and your division doesn't have great teams, you don't get a chance to play. Get out of here, man. Go walk down the tunnel. Three <laughs> K. It's been real. It's been real good. It's been good. It's been real good. Um. Let's give a big props to VT Rams fan. He has sexed up Turf Show Radio beyond my technical ability, certainly. And it's always good to have VT on the line, hollering at us, keeping us keeping us honest. What do you think, 3K? Man, I love VT. You know, he's edited the breakdown, you know, on the site. Now he's got this new segment going on Turf Show Radio. I, I like the fact that you called it sexy. VT Rams fan is making Turf Show time sexy. Let's just leave it at that. All right. That is. Let's do leave it at that before it gets weird. And we're gonna let you go. People, have a good have a good evening. Have a good morning. Three K. You know what I say it every time. Go Rams. Falcons. I mean it, Falcons too. tomorrow, baby. Go Rams. All right. Peace out, everybody. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? <laughs> and why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.